Welcome to Freedon Business. He grew up in South Florida, has been in business here since the early 90s, and has closed over $1 billion in deals. He's seen it all. He always has an opinion, and he's always ready to share it. Informed, entertaining, and connected, he has his finger on the pulse of South Florida's business community. He's Jim Freed, and this is Freedom Business. All right, everybody, welcome to the show. I want to remind everybody we're South Florida's longest running business talk show. We're in our like 13th year now. I'm sorry, everybody, I got that uh, COVID-19 lockdown haircut going. We've got a tremendous show for you today. Our old friend, Charles Faschini, is going to join us. He's going to talk about the capital markets and how he's doing big deals with big money. We're going to start off with an unusual twist. We're going to have Katie Clarich, and I'm sure I butchered her name, but we're going to talk about how she teaches uh, poetry in the prisons, but really the focus is going to be on what's going on with COVID-19 in the prisons. It's a real issue. It's something we're going to talk about and shed some light on. And then, like I said, we're going to have Charles Ficini, the Florida co-leader of the Percadia practice, talking about big deals and big money. So take it away. We'll be right back with great information you'll be able to use to make your life better today. Reagan? Before we are South Florida's longest running business talk show, and I want to give a shout out to all the first responders and healthcare heroes out there. But I'll tell you, I was over there today seeing Larry and Eric and the rest of the team. Boy, I just love that new store they've got up on a Biscayne and 105th, 151st Street, Warren Henry. That's who I'm talking about. When you're looking to buy or lease a car, you want to get every advantage that you can. That's why you have to check out Warren Henry Land Rover Range Rover Infinity and Jaguar up in Gainesville. They sell Audis down in the Keys. They've got them all, including the great Jeeps and everything like that down there. So what do they all have in common? They're all great cars and they all come with the Warren Henry Advantage. That means you get complimentary service loaner, dynamic wheel protection, key replacement, the guaranteed purchase offer, best value guarantee in the 72 hour exchange. That means you have three days to tell whether or not you love your car. You will. Hey, that's right. Join me, my wife, and my beautiful wife, Vivian. We're all members of, let me start again. Join me, my mom, that's right, my mom, and my beautiful wife, Vivian. We're all members of the Warren Henry family. You should be too. Always the best service, always the best price, always Warren Henry. Give me a call at 305-773-6300 if I can help you out with your commercial real estate. Uh, right now, I've got a tremendous bridge lender. They're looking to fill the void uh, where the equity has left the market. These guys will come in. They will charge a debt. They will create a debt structure. And then uh, you can keep all the upside on your deal. I'm doing two deals with them right now. Uh, additionally, I'm doing residential mortgages with a lot of my friends, including some foreign nationals. So if you're looking to buy your house, refinance your house to take advantage of these low rates, or 
you need a bridge loan to get you to the next cycle, give me a call at 305-773-6300. Why? Because when you call me, it's all about you. Welcome back to Freedom Business. Connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube at Jim Freed or at Freedom Business. And on Instagram at Jim Freed One. Now, back to your host, Jim Freed. Right, I want to thank my good friend Lisa Payton for introducing me to Kathy Clarich. Kathy, did I get that right? Got on mute, Kathy. Yeah. Kathy, did you, I get that right? You got that right. Thank you. Awesome. Awesome. You know, we advertise this talking about pandemic-inspired poetry, but that's really not what we're going to talk about today. Kathy goes to the prisons. She's a normal person like us. She's not a felon or anything like that. She's just a teacher that goes to the prisons, and we want to hear what she sees. It's heartbreaking, but it's information we need to bring to the table. Okay. So, yeah, so I actually have not been inside the prison since March 11th when they put a lockdown uh, in order to try and protect the people on the inside from getting infected. So they stopped uh, family members from coming in about a week or so before that. So since then, no one outside the um, employment of the Department of Corrections is actually going inside. So all the information that I'm gonna give you, Jim, is information that I've learned from people who work there or people who have written us about what's happening inside or from the media. So let me just start by saying all of the protections that we can have on the outside are very difficult to have on the inside for obvious reasons. So social distancing inside a prison, non-existent. Uh, People live in six by nine foot cells. You've usually got two people inside or you live in an open bay dorm where you're side by side with 60 other people. So the very easiest precaution to take, it's just, it's not gonna work. Florida's got the third largest prison population in the country. We've got 94,000 people that are incarcerated, and we're now second in the country for the number of people infected. Wow. So I've seen that there have been um, prison guards that are also getting infected and dying. Um, are there any available statistics or places where people can go to look about look, look this up? Yeah, so there's about 24,000 employees from the Department of Correction and about 2,000 of them are infected. The Florida Department of Corrections website has a listing every day that will update the number of people who are infected in the various prisons uh, within the state. Uh, But the Marshall Project um, has probably the best information. It gives you a state by state. It also gives you the overall number of people who are infected in prisons throughout the country. Uh, And unfortunately, the statistics are showing it's going up at about 10% per week of number infected. So since July, um, well, at least in the state of Florida, we've had 45 people die inside our prisons and 20 in just the last two weeks. So it's getting much worse. It's not getting better. So who is addressing this? Are they, I mean, I mean what's going on? This is ridiculous. Uh, you know, uh, misdemeanor shouldn't be a death penalty. So this is one of the problems is that uh, Florida's governor uh, has said from day one and has not shifted his position is that he will not be releasing people. So that seems like an an obvious easy solution. If your release date is coming up or if you're uh, eligible for parole, uh, if you have a minor crime, uh, 
let people out early so at least we can reduce the population a little bit. So that's one of the main things that can happen that is not happening. Um, other things, it's really difficult. The only way people are getting infected is by officers and staff coming in and out, right? Because once you're inside, it's a closed environment. Uh, whatever it is that we're doing is not working very well because the numbers continue to increase. So do they have a program to address this? What's going on? Who's watching this? Uh, well, the Florida Department of Corrections would say that they are, you know, they're doing the best that they can. Um, I think it got out of control um, and has never really gotten back on track. You have some prisons where there's uh, maybe one or two people who are infected, but you also have prisons. I mean, one of our prisons, I think, has 1,300 people out of the 2,000 that are in that institution that have been infected. So what I, I can't tell you what's gonna work, but I can tell you what is not working, which is this current system. I also know that when, say, an individual um, section of a, of a dorm is infected, they wait a couple weeks and then they release people back out onto the onto the compound, but they don't check to see whether or not those people are negative. So they're reinfecting each other. So what would be a solution that you su could suggest here? You know, I don't I don't know, because how do you live in a bubble? I mean, it works for the national um, basketball, right, where people are all in the Disney compound and they, they're living in a bubble. But you can't ask officers to live on the compound. It, that's just not a realistic um, solution. So people will be coming in and out. And I'm not faulting anyone. I mean, I feel horrible that there have been deaths among the officers as well. And I think within the let's see, the state of Florida, We've had um, how many deaths? We've had a couple deaths of officers just in the last couple weeks as well. Uh, there has to be better protocols for people coming in and out and checking so that you're not bringing it inside and then you're also not bringing it outside. When people are released from the system, they're also being released back out into the general population without any safety measures to make sure that they are quarantined before they they are released so i mean it's it's a constant turnover of potential infections you know there's really nothing you could say about all this other than that we have to treat everybody like a human being even if they've made a mistake and i've got to believe that many people have made a mistake um you know like i said don't need to have a death sentence just because they have uh, been sentenced to prison or even the stockade. So I've got to believe that we need better protocols, like you said, and we need a little bit of a focus on this. Now, is there a difference between the public uh, confinement facilities and the private facilities? Uh, no. And in fact, it's very interesting because in the very beginning when COVID broke out in the prisons, it was the, the prisons that are privatized that had the largest number of infections in the beginning. Part of that may be, and I'm, I'm really supposing I have no information, is that uh, people may not know this, but the prisons in, South, in Florida are not air conditioned. So just imagine... Um, you're in a dorm or a two-person cell without any air conditioning. The prisons that are privatized actually do have air conditioning, and it may be that some of the virus was circulating through 
the the vent systems. I, I don't know that. But Jim, I want to I want to go back to something that you said in the very beginning when you introduced me and the topic. And you said I was like a you know like a normal person um, that I was not a felon. Um, one of the misperceptions I think about people who are incarcerated is that they are not um, normal people, right? And we like to think of them as being criminals. And for the most part, people have committed a crime and their punishment is that they are now locked away. But the other human rights that should be afforded them, um, the right to education, the right to healthcare, they are wards of our state. And the punishment is that they are no longer circulating freely, but those other conditions, those other human rights should be afforded to them while they are incarcerated. And that falls back onto the state. So if we are not taking care of their health care, that is a statewide issue. Yeah, I wanna thank you for pointing that out. And I wanted to get to the point that they are wards of the state because that is important to me. You take away their rights so they can't do anything for themselves. You've got to take care of them. If you don't, then it's bad on you. You know, uh, our society can only be judged by how we handle the weakest and most at risk. And uh, we're creating a weakness and a risk for uh, this population. And it's not fair that we don't give them the chance to be safe in our care. Yeah, I mean, we, we as I think you said it really well, and also we as a community, they are part of our community. They are separated. And the one thing that I can say that COVID has done is to shine a light on what's happening on the inside, because for the most part, those walls, that barbed wire, that we keep their voices away. So part of what our organization is trying to do is to bring their voices on the outside so that we're not talking about them, but we're letting them speak for themselves. So if you were interested in finding out more about what they have to say and you go to our website, you can read what they're writing about now. And we're in the process of doing a call for submissions across the country for a book that's gonna be called The COVID Collection that will be stories told by people who are incarcerated and their family members about what's happening during this period. You know, it's very difficult to imagine because sometimes and I don't want to belittle the situation. I feel incarcerated in my room, in my apartment. I can't leave. I can't go anywhere. My wife is compromised. Uh, today, I celebrated the fact that I actually went to the car dealer for a meeting. Hmm. Yeah, I and, and imagine. I felt, I felt normal. Yeah. So these these um, men and women have not seen their family members in more than five months, um, have no access to the outside. All of the programs, including programs like ours, which bring education inside, religious programs, activities, um, being able to go out and exercise, those are all taken away from them. People who are in quarantine inside the prison are not even allowed out to go eat their meals. So they're being brought bag lunches and dinners, which consist of peanut butter sandwiches and bologna sandwiches, which is not nutritious for somebody who, in general, right? But certainly not for grown adults. Well, I think that the entire prison system and concept um, is something that we can discuss significantly on extensive programs and still not get something that works. Uh, we don't usually talk politics, but I think it's telling that we have an enormous prison population in the United States. I think it's something that we have to take a look at and we have to take a look at the fact that it's um, really tilted in a particular direction that probably is not where it should be. So 
I think that we're grudgingly taking a look at the, at the issue. Hopefully as a society, we'll be able to address it better. Um, it's obvious that uh, issues that touch on this are tearing our country apart right now. So I hope that we can all come together and have a better, a better understanding of it. I wanna thank you so much for coming and telling our, our audience about the uh, people that you have met in the past and that you'll hopefully again meet in the future. And uh, thank you so much for bringing uh, their voices outside for us to hear. Thanks for the opportunity, Jim. I appreciate it. It's my pleasure. I want to again thank Lisa Paley for uh, putting us together today. Me too. Thanks, Lisa. Thank you, Lisa. All right, we're going to be back with Charles.